Very good. Well, actually, Linda, that fits. There we go. See, I just knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, that fits right in kind of with the message because we want to talk about, I wonder if, you know, I'm in the habit these days or, or whatever it might be of taking what we talk about in the morning and just building on that in the evening service. And um, I was quite overwhelmed this morning, even as I was teaching the lesson on the cross about just how great, and how wonderful this forgiveness is. And seeing it through the eyes of a nine-year-old girl just makes it very special because that's how we should be enamored with God just like she was as a nine-year-old the rest of our lives. It should never grow old. And the psalmist in Psalm 103, and I frankly, I may have taught this a while back. I'm not sure. Um, I looked on the schedule, didn't see it, but I may have. But in Psalm 103, it's a wonderful scripture of, of the psalmist just being enamored with the benefits and the greatness of God. You know, back a long time ago, there's a guy named Carl Boberg. Now, you don't know him, but Carl Boberg was a Swedish pastor. And one day he was walking along and a great storm blew in. He lived on the coast. A great storm blew in with thunder and lightning and all the effects of that. And he ran, he ran and uh, took shelter until the storm passed. He came back out. And as he looked over across the bay and the beautiful clearness of the sky and recalled the majesty of God, he wrote a poem that we now know as How Great Thou Art. And we enjoy and live and love that song today. Uh, George Beverly Shea just made it wonderfully famous within gospel circles um, of how great our God is. And that's what the psalmist says. He says, How great is our God. So let's look through the first 12 verses or so of Psalm 103 and let's celebrate tonight the greatness and wonder of our God. Now he starts out, and again, this may be familiar to you. Um, he starts out with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now let's pause here because it's obviously a call to worship. It's a call to worship. And the word bless there, if you're taking notes, means to praise and to adore. To praise and to adore. So praise the Lord or adore the Lord, O my soul. And those words, all that is within me, means that we should be enamored with God and want to bless God with everything that we have. Now, let me say this, and, and we worship in wondrous ways. Tonight we sang very traditional songs. This morning, Dave had one or two new songs. We worship in many different ways, but the, what's, I always says, the style of our worship should not dictate our worship. The style of our worship shall not dictate our worship because the object of our worship never changes. The style may change, the songs may change, but the object does not change. And since we're worshiping the object of, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, then every time we gather to worship, regardless the style or whatever it is, everything within us should want to praise and adore the Lord. Don't try not to find yourself not participating in worship because of some reason or another. Understand you're worshiping God. Amen? You're worshiping God. The one we described this morning who was nailed to that cross and we celebrate that, you are worshiping Him. I wrote down two little phrases, the, probably from the South. One, every ounce of me. 
we say something, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm something, da-da-da-da, with every ounce in me. We should want to worship God with every ounce in us. And another, another little saying that I've grown up with is every fiber of my being. Every fiber of my being. So with everything we are, the psalmist says, we should bless the Lord. We should praise and adore Him. And then he goes to verse 2 and says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says these words, which are so powerful, and forget not all His benefits. One of the most dangerous things that happen to us as believers is that we forget the benefits of the Lord. We have this horrible tendency in our lives to think about what God, in our eyes, what God has not done versus what He has done. We have this horrible tendency to be critical of God for what He did not do instead of what He already has done. What He did not give instead of what He has given. So don't forget the benefits of God. And for the next 12 verses, 11 verses, He spends all this time just talking about the benefits of God. Now, have you noticed something? And in fact, it happened this morning in a church in the foyer area, and I don't even remember who was participating in the conversation, but we talked about forgetting. You know, you hang around senior adults a lot, and unless we totally forget, we always talk about forgetting. <laughs> Wasn't that funny? Yeah, yeah, unless we forget, we always talk about, you know, and how funny it is, you know, I always say, you know, if I'm getting older, and da, da, we always talk about how forgetful we get as we get older. Now listen, the, the danger is that it happens spiritually. If we're not careful, the longer we are saved, the longer the times before we remember. So we'll have gaps in our memory. Every once in a while we'll say, well, I remember how great God is, and I remember God is, but there are larger and larger gaps. So as we grow older, let's not grow forgetful, let's grow sharper in our minds and forget not His benefits. All that he has done. That's why I gave the caveat this morning in the message when I talked about the cross. I said, I know you know the story, but if, if the cross ever becomes old to us, we've failed. We've failed. It should never, the story of, of Jesus' sacrificial death should just stir us every time we hear it. Kind of like one of the old stories that, that mom used to tell or grandma used to tell. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefit. And then... He just jumps in with this incredible statement, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. Who forgives all your iniquity. Someone say all. That's amazing. And I wrote down all kinds for all times. All kinds for all times. And let, let, me, let me explain that. The, the, the unlimitedness of God's grace is greater than any sin you can think of. All kinds of sin. All times. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but the day you trusted Jesus Christ, when you were nine, Linda, okay, when you were nine years old, you probably didn't have a real long sin list at that point, okay? But God, in His amazing grace, forgave every sin you had committed and every sin you were ever going to commit. It was all placed under God's grace. Somehow, I think sometimes we forget that and we think I have to get up and kind of maintain my salvation to keep myself saved. I've got to be sure and confess my sins every day. That has to do with your fellowship with God, but not your relationship. Because when the Bible says He died for your sins, He died for your sins, past, present, and future. Amen? This is important. Celebrate this. 
Celebrate this. That's why you can't lose your salvation. Because your sins have been placed under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins have been forgiven. He has, he has forgiven all of your iniquity. All kinds of iniquity for all time. All kinds of iniquity for all time. And then he says, the psalmist says, who heals all your diseases. Now, we want to take that, I know we want to take that, and we want to apply it to physical healing. And, and hence the teaching that God heals you know, every person every time. But the truth is, guess what? He doesn't. I've been twice this week, I walked around the cemetery, and there were deaths at, at 3, 15, 14, 23, 50, 60, 90. But you know what's amazing? All those people died. And guess what they died of? Something. Something. So it's amazing. If you'll notice, there are three... Two other scriptures that tie this together. And the psalmist does it. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Um, for Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the price for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. See the connection between his sacrifice and healing. And then uh, 1 Peter uh, 2.24, who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Both those scriptures plus the one in Psalms clearly ties salvation and healing. And let me tell you, tell you this, I wrote this down. I said, you know, eternal life is the great healer. And what he doesn't fix here, he will fix there. What he doesn't fix here, he will... You say, well, Dwayne, why doesn't God heal all sickness now? Isn't that a great question? Why doesn't God heal all sickness now? Okay, like it or not, here's what the Bible teaches us. In Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. So sickness can have a purpose now. God has used tragedy and God has used difficult circumstances and God has used illness for His honor and for His glory. What did He tell, tell the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Three times Paul went to Him, take this stone away, take this thorn away, take this thorn away. No, my grace is sufficient. And Paul was the man that he was, not because God removed the thorn, but because he trusted the God who could remove the thorn, but ultimately chose not to in this life. In this life. So don't be discouraged with God if He chooses not. Does God heal? Absolutely 100%. He just doesn't heal every person every time. Why? He has a plan and He has a purpose. And He's working that plan and He's working that purpose out. Sometimes the plan and purpose is better worked out by us working through a grieving situation or an illness. Sometimes it's better worked out. And it's always, Thy will be done, not why my will be done. But in heaven... He makes it all right. Ultimately, every believer is healed of every disease. Someone say amen. amen. Ultimately, every believer is healed from every disease. Just like it says. Again, knows the tie-in. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. The, the, the tie-in is eternal. The tie-in is eternal, not temporal. Not temporal. It's eternal. And one day He will heal 
every disease. Not a cop-out. God doesn't need a cop-out. He's God. He's God. What we need to do is learn to understand that He is God and trust Him no matter what. Trust Him no matter what. You know, the Bible says in verse number 4, He goes on and says this, Who redeems your life from the pit. Now, keeping in mind who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, and the fact that eternity is the great healer, and that he, what he doesn't fix now, he fixes later. He does redeem your life from the pit. When you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, by the way, the pit there is the grave. Okay? He redeemed, he bought us back, so the grave has no power. The grave has no power. Now, again, it is so difficult when we lose loved ones, whether they happen to be 90 or 80 years old or whether they're 12 years old. Death is difficult. But through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and through His blood, He has redeemed us from the pit. I wrote it this way. Grave, you can't have Him. Grave, you can't have her. When you trusted Jesus Christ as nine years old, the grave no longer had any power on you. And Linda, if you'd have died when you were 10, if you'd died when you were 15, or you lived to be 100, the grave can't have Linda guess because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've lost a loved one, if you've lost your loved one who knew Jesus Christ, the grave doesn't hold him because the Redeemer has redeemed him from the grave. Now that's just good. That's just, that, that's just praise the Lord stuff. I mean, that's something we can celebrate and something we can take home, like, like Linda said. Celebrate that and thank God for that. And if you're sitting here today and again you've lost a loved one, or perhaps you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, and you know there's more suns, sunsets behind you than there are before you, just keep in mind, the grave can't have you once you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you. It's the crowning glory with this steadfast love and this wonderful, wonderful mercy. You know, we were dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sin, and yet He redeemed us from that. He goes on verse 5. Who satisfies you with good. I like that. Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I wondered and said, what does the author have in mind? Why does he compare our youth to that of an eagle? Well, we know in Isaiah 40, 31, it's a very famous verse among Christian circles, even youth, youth may fade and be weary, faint and be weary. Young men may fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, here's the amazing thing. What is the strength of the eagle? What is the strength of the eagle? It's not what you think. He is blessed with a massive wing spread of, I think, six feet, seven feet, amazingly. But you know the strength of an eagle is? The wind. The wind. An old eagle can soar and fly like a young eagle. Not because of the shoulder muscles and the body is not deteriorated, but because of the inner structure of the wing still supports 
what God sends, and that's the wind. Does that make sense? Perhaps the author had in mind when he says, who satisfies you with good, uh, that your youth is renewed like the eagle, is he's teaching us that we need to wait for the wind. That who we are and what we are and what we do is not based on our ability to flap our wings, but our ability to soar and to die. The, the two attributes, the two incredible attributes of an eagle that he can soar literally for hours virtually without flapping his wings. He simply rests on the wind. And when the time comes to attack, when the time comes to die for food, when the time is appropriate, he folds his wings in and becomes aerodynamic and once again depends on the wind to carry him to the intended target. Those that wait upon the Lord. Wait for the wind. The strength is not in your ability to fly, but in but God's ability to carry you. It's not you flapping your wings. It's you resting on the prayer. Isn't it funny, David, that what happened to Pentecost? I sound like a mighty rushing wind. Oh, how the Holy Spirit supports us and carries us. So, so leave tonight with the idea, God... Thank you because you're a God who carries me when I need to be carried. You help me to soar when I can't soar. And you help me to dive when I need to dive. Thank you for that, Lord. What a great God that you are. He goes on and says this. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. I love the song that Krista sang, that God's for us. I just want everybody I can tell to hear that. God's for us. You know, does it strike you funny that God's enamored with you? Let me put it in words you can really get, that God's in love with you. Isn't that amazing? He is in love with you. The deal is sometimes we're not in love with Him. Oh, that we would be as enamored with God as He is with us. You say, how can you say that God's in love with me? The cross! <laughs> the cross! It forever shouts to me that my God loved me so much He sent His Son to die for my wretched soul. That's why. And not just me, but you. You. And He works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He's for me. He's like an advocate. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus the advocate. And, and the proof is in the pudding in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He, he, here, here were the people of Israel, and they'd been slavery for 400 years, and they thought God had forgot them. And God sends a man named Moses and overcomes the oppression of Pharaoh. When Moses demands, God says, let my people go. Well, God, if God had a bony finger, he could stick it in the nose of Satan and said, bud, these are my people. You've got no hand on them. Let them go. Let them go. Amen. I tell you what, he's a powerful, wonderful God. He really is. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Amen and amen. So remember this. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful. The Lord extends. Grace is His unmerited favor. Mercy is His unmerited kindness. Let me say that again. Grace is His unmerited favor. Mercy is His unmerited kindness. He's kind beyond what we deserve. So the Lord is kind beyond what we deserve and gracious or graceful. So we have His unfavored, His undeserved merit, His undeserved kindness. He's slow to anger and abounding, lavish in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Not with His kids, He won't. You need to understand, if you're here without Jesus, you will ultimately face the eternal anger of God in a place called hell. Not a popular topic. But Jesus has done everything He can to make sure you don't go through that or endure that or go there by dying on a Roman cross. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad? Now let that... Let me slow down. Let this, can you just let that soak in? He will not deal with us according to our sins. Do you know what that means? According to our sins, how would God deal with us? A lake of fire that burns forever and ever. Am I right? I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. Those whose sin are not forgiven, not good, bad, not those who have sinned not under the blood, then they will be condemned to a place called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't do that either by His grace. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Now, understand fear not being, oh, no, I'm afraid. Fear is, I love you and I respect you. Now, let me ask you a question. How far can you go up before you start going down? Assuming you're in a jet airplane with unlimited fuel, unlimited air, all the limits are taken away. If I was going to go straight up, how far could I go straight up before I hit a ceiling? Let me answer it for you. Forever. Up is forever. How, how, what are the limits then of God's love according to the scripture? There is none. Say it with me. There is none. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. It goes on and on and on and on. His love has no limits. Wow. Wow. And verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions. And I know you've heard this before, but it's so true and it is so good. There is a specific reason why, why the Word does not say north and south. As far as the north is from the south, because if you eventually go north, what happens? You start going south. But you can chase west. If you're in the east, you can chase west forever and never catch it. As far as the east is from the west, He's removed our transgressions. So tonight, forgetting on His benefits. 
Leave here knowing that there really is a God who really created everything and really is in love with you. And His heart is your love and His love for you and His forgiveness for your sin. And if you're here tonight, I've got a home crowd mostly here tonight, but if you're here tonight and you've never experienced that like Linda did at nine years old, you know, I was 21 when it happened for me after being in church all my life. So if you're here tonight and you've never experienced that grace, I'll, I'll be standing down front here. We're going to sing a song. We call it our decision time. If you'd like to know more about this God and how much He loves you and how enamored He is with you, I would love to share that with you tonight. The greatest thing that's happened to those of us who know Him is the fact that we know Him. Do you have an amen there? Amen. The greatest thing is knowing Him. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you so much, so much for your wonderful, steadfast love and mercy. Oh, may, may every fiber of our being, may every ounce of us just want to praise you every opportunity we get. May we never, never, never be guilty of ingratitude towards you. May we never be guilty of not praising you. Jesus, you said in the Gospel of Luke, that if you told the people to be quiet, that the rocks would cry out. An old Southern Gospel song says, I don't want any rock crying out for me. So may I be a man, and may we be a people who joyfully and gladly praise you with all that we are. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.